So Lord, this is a night of surrender. We want to give you everything that's bothering us, that's been a distraction, that has easily occupied our attention. And Lord, we want to get a clear focus toward you right now. We've been distracted about so many things. We've, it's been easy to be like Martha, who's worried and bothered about so many things. And yet only a few things are necessary. And Jesus, you made it clear. You said really only one thing is really needful. And Lord, we're here tonight to experience that one thing. That time of communion with our God. And how you are so blessed to have sons and daughters just sit at your feet. And we all want to learn of you. So Lord, we've given you now uh, all the things that have held us back. Now we just welcome everything that you have for us tonight. Just put your hands over your heart. Lord, everything of this sermon we've been looking at, this Sermon on the Mount, every single verse, every single phrase is pregnant with the Spirit of God. It's just ready to ignite new life everywhere. And Lord, we just welcome your new life tonight in looking at this particular scripture. These wonderful words of Jesus that will breathe life into us. It's not only possible, it is doable. So Lord, we just welcome now everything that will help us to obey what you're saying. And we choose friendship with Jesus tonight. You are my friends if you do what I tell you to do. And Lord, we already say yes to that. We say yes to you. So thank you now for the peace, the shalom of God that you give us as a treasured gift. Shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Lord, we just embrace you and your word tonight. And we just say, Jesus, may your name be lifted up high. High and holy be lifted up. Thank you for your presence among us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Ah. Well, I feel better. I surrendered to the Lord some things that have been kind of weighty on my heart. Uh, let, let me give you a, a re some really good news right at the front end of this evening. God will always, always, always answer this prayer. You ready for it? He will always answer it. Lord, is there anything in my life that you would like to see changed? The Lord loves to hear that prayer. Is, is there anything in my life? Oh man, there's a whole lot, but he's not going to overwhelm us. 
Is there anything in my life that you would like to see changed or at least challenged tonight? And I want you to soak and to linger uh, with that thought in your mind as, as we look at this, this incredible verse, uh, of Matthew, these two verses of Matthew 7 tonight. Lord, is there anything? And I've already surrendered to you. I allow your Holy Spirit to come and touch and to point and to bring revelation of something in my life that you'd like to see changed. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by that. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few find it. Wow, the narrow gate that Jesus alludes to in this passage is, it really speaks to the command that he gave in the preceding verse. How many of you remember what the preceding verse is that we looked at last week? I see about four hands. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That was the challenge of last week. Well, in the group that I was with, we had great sharing about that. Did you, did you have wonderful, rich sharing? Uh, I mean, that's, that's packed. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Jesus follows that by talking about the narrow gate and the wide gate. And the wide gate refers to careless, sinful ways. It's the broad path that ends up leading to total destruction. And it's easier to be self-centered. It's easier to be covetous. It's easier to take advantage of others and to live for yourself than it is to walk according to the golden rule, which is what we looked at last week. You know, the bottom line in regards to our humanism is that we really want others to do to us much better than what we want to do for them because we are just so self-centered. Self-love is in all of us. But the way which leads to life is a lifestyle of righteousness. It's the way of believing. Abraham was considered righteous because he really believed God. So it's a process of believing that God is going to lead me along this path and he will guide me into the narrow way. And living this way is difficult. Because it means we have to deny our carnal desires and yield to Jesus in every area of our life. So precious disciples of Jesus, your king desires to be your Lord, not merely your Savior. Praise God, he's our Savior, but he's Lord. Not just saving us from sin, he's Lord of our life. Lord. And these words of Jesus about the narrow gate, they, they contradict some common theological misunderstandings in our modern generation that unfortunately are being taught in some Bible colleges and seminaries. Some say that we can reach heaven through a number of numerous avenues. 
But that totally contradicts Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that says, For there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Boy, that's very narrow. It's Jesus. That's the narrow way. And we hear that disciples of Jesus uh, can really be true disciples without denying themselves. And that we do not have to put to death the deeds of the body. Well, this is all contrary to Romans 8.13, which says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. So there's modern teaching and thinking that holds to belief that the gate that Jesus is talking about is really not as narrow as he meant it to be or as he declared it to be. But to be born again, we are to come to Jesus, confess our sin, totally turn from the sin, repent of it, and we surrender our lives to His Lordship. And by faith we receive the eternal life that He promises to give us. And at that point of new birth, we begin the process of sanctification. Day one starts the day Jesus became Savior and Lord. And that whole process of sanctification is not just to save us from our sins, it's to make us just like Jesus. That's what sanctification is meant to do. And we learn how to yield our will to His will for the rest of our lives. It's a constant school of Christ. And Jesus says that surrendering to His Word and to His will is the narrow gate, but it's also the difficult path. And unfortunately, we don't always want to yield our will to God's. And that's what makes the narrow gate really difficult. It goes against our will at times. And often, I found in my years of walking with the Lord, sometimes it's a really tight squeeze. We enter the gate, Jesus, into his eternal life, and the way that we begin to walk is a narrow one that's a whole path of righteousness toward holiness. And this same thought is expressed in Luke chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus is also talking about strive to enter that narrow gate, which indicates that there's difficulties and obstacles in the journey. And the Greek word to strive in that Luke 13, 24 verse is agonizomai, or agonizomai, which is where we get the word agony. So, agonizomai means to agonize, to struggle, to contend for a prize. And we see the same word is used in, in 1 Corinthians 9.25, referring to fierce competitions in which the athletes take part. And from these verses, we can see that it's going to require fervent effort to the point of agony in taking up our cross daily and denying ourselves. And this week when I was 
pondering tonight and going over, uh, just meditating, spending time with the Lord. This phrase, fervent effort, came to mind, and immediately what came to mind was an old-time friend by the name of Sandy Lentz. And Sandy, this is when I was living in Rockford, Illinois, and uh, she was a part of our young adults college and career group. And she loved ice skating, and she had been ice skating ever since she was four. Of course, when you're in Illinois, you can ice skate at birth. You have plenty of opportunity to, to skate over a, a lake, a lake or a pond. You don't have to just go to a skating rink. It's everywhere in the wintertime. But I remember uh, Sandy lived so differently than all the rest of us. Because after we would have our uh, time of college and career and young adults, uh, we do like what some of you do. You go to BJ's. Well, we had Uncle John's and Aunt Mary's, which were... Two different restaurants that were really neat and you could see a lot of young people came from different church groups on Wednesday night or Sunday night. Sandy never came because she had to get up every morning at 3.30 so she could be at the rink at 4.30 to skate for three hours before she went to school. And she did this six days a week. And her fervent effort Paid off. She took third in the U.S. trials and qualified to go to the Olympics. Unfortunately, she, had, she didn't have her, her best skate at the Olympics and she placed ninth. But this, the moral is, is that she denied herself so many different things because skating was in her DNA. She loved it. Even though she sometimes hated to get up and all that it cost her to be able to be a fierce competitor, it was worth it in the end because she was doing what she loved the most. The Lord is saying, if you love me the most, it's going to be worth all the effort. It's going to be worth it all. So we've got to be determined to master all difficulties that would hold us back from God's kingdom rule in our lives. Yet in the midst of all of our determination and all of our fervent efforts, we've got to remember, this is, this is all a work of grace. This isn't by works, it's by grace. God, only in His grace, is going to get us there. And it's only through the abiding in Jesus that we can make any progress at all. But as we yield to Him, He's faithful to have us in the process of sanctification. We are becoming, be encouraged, you are becoming more like Jesus in this season of your life. We have struggles, we have difficulties, we have failures. Nonetheless, you are better off today than you were when you first believed. And the narrow gate means that we abandon all of our sin and anything that's going to look to separate us from our Lord. And not only do we need to mourn our past sin, we've got to stand firm against all future sin. Psalm 119, verse 128. I remember years ago when I first read this verse, I, I just stopped and I went, what a passion that David had that he wrote this verse. He said, I hate every 
false way. That's a good confession. I hate every false way. Let's all say that together. I hate every false way. Say it again. Lord, make that a reality. Make that a reality, not just a word of confession, but a reality in our lives. This is why we, we have to repent of all of our rebellion against God. There's rebellion inside of us we're not even aware of. We need to welcome His rule over us. That's where the Lordship comes in. And fully, fully, fully surrender to His will for our lives. That is the narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. We surrendered at salvation. You know what? We're still surrendering. Until finally we'll see Him face to face and He'll go, come. Dr. Charles Spurgeon once said, you and your sins must separate. Or you and your God will never come intimately together. No one sin may you keep. Jesus is our great prophet, our priest, and our king. We receive him as prophet so that he can instruct us and speak to our lives and have the word become flesh. As a priest, he's the one who atones for us. And as a king, he's the one who rules over us. And it's by completely surrendering to the Lord Jesus in all three areas, prophet, priest, and king, that we pass through the narrow gate. Now the wide gate refers to the course of this world as we read about in Ephesians 2 too. Paul is talking about this Spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. You either have the Spirit of God or we have the Spirit that is at work in the world through sons of disobedience, of which we were all a part of. And the path is wide, and those that are in this broad path have very few or no restrictions. They do not obey God's commands and do not practice self-denial. The way of the world is easy, even though it ends up being the hardest way. And they'll find many along the journey walking in that same direction. It's attractive to the carnal mind because it allows lust and unlimited self-indulgence. But it is a very deceptive road. And few know and understand where it's taking them. According to Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end, it's the way of death. And Psalm 1, 6 says that the broad road is fatal. It leads to destruction, eternal destruction. Now we're all born in sin, and we're all on that road unless, by the grace of God, it reaches us and snatches us from the broad way and starts to put us in the narrow way. And we can only abandon the broad road to destruction by receiving Yeshua, God's salvation, the person of Jesus. 
In Galatians 3.22 says, The Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. We receive God's promise of freedom only by believing, putting our trust and confidence and fully surrendering to the Lord Jesus. So we must turn to God and from sin and then live in ways that are pleasing to Him. And saving faith not only trusts in Jesus, it also chooses to obey Him. It not only believes God's promises, but it holds to every one of His instructions. Godliness must be our chief concern in our main business in life. Now many believers have strayed from the holiness that God requires. It's easy to get out of the narrow and go a couple of feet into the broad. I see it alive within believers that, that proclaim they love Jesus, and I think that probably a lot of them do. They're just being seduced. For instance, many believing couples get sexually involved before they marry. This is becoming more common than it has been. Some believers are looking at pornography and still enjoying it. Others are guilty of lying or cheating or stealing. So in other words, there's a form of godliness, but there's a denial of the Holy Spirit power to deliver us. And it's easy to live in the standards of the world rather than the standards of God's holy kingdom. Now I, I say these things not because I've been innocent, but because I too have had times of strain from the narrow gate and the narrow way, and I found myself easily on the broad path of sin. That's why we all need, we all need His grace that only comes through one door, the door of humility. God resists the proud, but He lavishly pours out grace to the humble. I want you to listen to these words of Peter, the Apostle Peter from 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to read it from the New Living Version. Peter writes, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by lustful human desires. For this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith a generous provision of virtue. Now that's a word we don't hear much today. But Peter's making it very clear that right after your faith, add to your faith virtue, which is moral excellence. So the question is, are we trying to build moral excellence into our lives? 
Are we allowing God to put restrictions on us to narrow our way? Do the things that we read or watch or listen to, do they encourage and increase virtue? Do our close relationships inspire us toward moral excellence? Reading Paul's words from Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, he says, Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. So don't participate in the darkness of wild living and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity, or immoral living, or in quarreling, or jealousy. No! Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So what Paul is saying is that rather than making a provision for the flesh, feed on Jesus and feed on His Word. Practice self-control against fleshly lusts. Practical example. If you have a TV or if you have a gaming habit, get rid of the screen or at least put it out of sight for a week. Now, one of the discipleship groups that I was a part of back last year, when we were sharing, all of us decided that we were watching the news too much. And it was weighing us down. Listen, watching news channels is most all of them are bad news. Even if they're sharing the truth is bad news. That's why the good news needs to be filling our lives. And I remember we all said, how about if we fast from watching the news for a week? <gasps> and it was a struggle. It was. We don't even realize how many ruts we have gotten ourselves into. But I'm thrilled. I haven't talked to the other brothers who were in that group about this particular subject in a while, but I remember for months following, it had an effect on all of us that time of fasting. So what do we do? We denied ourselves a pattern of life so that we could enter a new life and embrace a narrower way. By denying our eating off the wrong tree, the tree of knowledge. Because we wanted to know what's happening. We wanted to know what our leaders are saying. We wanted to know. We wanted to know. That's the wrong tree. There were two trees in the garden. And they ate off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we still love to eat off of that tree today. The whole other tree was the tree of life. Mmm. So don't nourish your flesh, but rather starve your flesh and feed your spirit. When we engage in worldly activities, we lose the fighting edge of discernment in our battle against Satan. God has placed within us the ability to perceive the things that please Him. But when our minds are dulled by worldliness, we lose our sense of discernment. 
You know, one thing that I really do appreciate about a large segment of my upbringing is that there's a huge part of the world that is really preparing to celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's, it's called Lent in a lot of circles. Uh, we don't have that in Baptist fellowship, but I used to appreciate that it was a mindful thing almost continually about something special is on the horizon and let's start to prepare our hearts to encounter God. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. Don't just be looking around. Be in prayer with what you see. Have a heart for intercession. And if you remember a few weeks ago, looking at that supplication prayer. God wants, to pray, wants us to pray about everything. Having that heart to intercede. Remember how we saw how Jesus ever lives to make intercession and the Holy Spirit is praying sometimes with groans that He can't even utter in words. So those two segments of our blessed Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Son and the Spirit are living to make intercession for us. And I, I pray that all of our prayer lives has a bit more increased out of passion for God ever since we've looked at the significance of supplication prayer. Watch and pray was what Jesus told us to do. So we need to be alert concerning not only the ways of God, but the tactics of the enemy. What is a pattern that we had gotten ourselves into by watching the news every day? Or throughout the day, not only every day, every hour, every half hour. Mm. We just easily get into a worldly rut. And somehow, God by His grace challenges us to just step out of the rut for a little while. As mentioned in previous lessons, it's chiefly through prayer that we're going to discern not only the ways of God, but the ways of the enemy as well. And when we do not engage in prayers, we ought, you know what happens? We do things that are contrary to the life that we should be living. And we get weighted down. Listen, anyone that has a, law, a lot of consumption of the news today, it's really hard to break through and to pray properly. And there's things like that all throughout the world that are looking to contaminate us. I love, I love the thought, that we are made out of the dust of the world. That means that everything that is dusty of the world is attracted to us and us to it because we're made out of it. That's why we need a daily washing of the Word to cleanse us from the dust of the world. And we need it daily. We need that washing of the water of the Word daily, sometimes hourly. Because if we do not get the washing, something starts to smell. There is a wrong odor that starts to come out. It's an earthly odor rather than a freshly fragrance. A kingdom fragrance. Every spirit-filled believer 
should realize that intimate involvement with the world is contrary to the life that God wants us to live. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. The beloved apostle gives us a, in 1 John, he, he gives us a, a great statement that needs to be front and center in our hearts. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can have love for the Father, but you will not have the love of the Father. It's not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Satan wants to tear down the nature of God within us by seducing us with the love of the world. Or the love of the flesh. Or the pride of life. If we cannot break away from the lust of the world and all of the world's attractions, we're going to be a lot more power. We're going to be powerless to live actually holy lives, no matter how much spiritual warfare we engage in. It's going to affect our ability to penetrate and have kingdom effectiveness. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind. God, help us to have a whole different way of thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul writes to the Philippians. Gird up the, the loins of our mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not conform yourselves to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. It's only by God's grace that we can enter through the narrow gate. But I believe the Lord's gathered us here together tonight to say it's not only possible, it's my will for you to enter the narrow gate. It's my plan for your life. It's my destined purpose for you to enter through the narrow gate. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction and the whole world is looking to walk in that direction. But it shall not be so with you. I've called you to myself, says the Lord. He's drawing us with cords of loving kindness. He's passionate in his love for us. 
Well, Lord, we started off by looking if, if there's anything in my life that you would like to see changed. Lord, there's a whole lot in our lives that you'd probably like to see changed. But Lord, you don't want to overwhelm us. You just want to point to something that's in your heart that you want to reveal to our heart tonight and in this season. So Lord, even as we started with surrendering the things that are in our heart, the worries and concerns and situations and all the considerations that we have and we're bombarded with. And then we received your heart for us tonight. We welcomed your will and your plan and your word. Lord, is there anything in my life that you would really like to see changed? Lord, we just give you the liberty to, to speak into our lives that we could embrace your word and go through the narrow way that leads to your life, to greater abundance of your life. So, Lord, in these quiet moments, we just ask you to speak, Lord. Father, we're so grateful that you are a God who speaks. Uh, all of the scripture is the word of God. You have a lot to say. Um, Lord, even if, if nothing came to us in this moment of silence, you're such a faithful God. You have a way of bringing revelation in five minutes or in ten minutes or in an hour or in our discussion groups tonight or on our way home tonight, or tomorrow, or the next day, you are a God who speaks, and we just give you entrance. We give you liberty to speak to us. And that our hearts would not resist the prompting of your Spirit. We say that we're open and desirous, Lord, to walk through the narrow gate tonight. It's the gate of obedience, the gate of surrender, the gate to your Lordship. So thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do the rest of this evening, the rest of this week, the rest of this season even to the rest of our lives. Blessed be your glorious name, O oh God. Amen.